everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. And happy Thanksgiving um, for those of you in America. The rest of the world, happy Thanksgiving, but it's not your Thanksgiving day. Is that Boxing Day for Canada or something? No, that's the day after Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's right. When they take Canadians down. have their Thanksgiving in October. They would. <laughs> At least I think that's right. I think it's October. But anyway, here in the U.S., this is Thanksgiving week. So I hope that everyone has had a wonderful Thanksgiving. You may be Black Friday shopping for us. Like now I'm officially letting Christmas, th- Christmas things happen. So I'm taking down my fall gnomes and putting out my Christmas gnomes. And we'll be uh, setting up the Christmas tree before long. And the Christmas music can't commence. Yay. I love Christmas music. Jason is like the freaking Grinch. He is the worst during tree setup because he complains about everything. I have been doing great the last couple of years. Thank you very much. Yeah. Over the pandemic, I was like, you cannot ruin Christmas for me. You can't. Like, I need Christmas. Just because, you know, we've been vaccinated doesn't mean that uh, you can start ruining Christmas again. I can't. I, I could have always done that, but I control myself. I- well, let's let's continue building on that self-control because I'm going to be listening to Christmas music, get my Amazon Echo Dot. I know you hear me. Yeah, I can't wait. It's Christmas like music. the same five songs over and over and over done by different people. It is oh, not, I love and, that. And honestly, I try to get playlists and pick like different albums from... People who maybe do Christmas a little Christmas music a little bit different when I know you're actively listening because you're such a butthole about it. <laughs> you're a butthole. <laughs> so you're welcome. <laughs> this holiday season is great here at our house, let me tell you. <laughs> so I hope everything's going better for the rest of you. Like this is what I was thinking. I, I saw Mel, our friend in Canada, a uh, member of the Riveted, post, um, putting, like, posted her Christmas decorations, like her Christmas tree and stuff. And I thought, that's way too early. It's not after Thanksgiving. And then I thought, oh, wait, it is after Canadian Thanksgiving. Do they have Canadian Christmas, too, or is it at the same time of year? It's the same time, honey. Oh, I don't know. Christmas is Christmas all, all around the world. What about China? You know, well, they're recently starting to celebrate Christmas, at least putting the decorations in shops. Oh, like, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Commercial Christmas. Yes, yes. They're they're kind of getting into that as they um, try to participate with the West, but that's not inherent to them. Christmas is not. But places that celebrate Christmas, it's always on December 25th. In fact, China's going to celebrate it, those that do, 12 hours before us. So, But anyway, I thought, oh, how do other places that have Thanksgiving at different times know when it's okay to put up your Christmas decorations? I mean, there's like no hard and fast rule. You just do whatever you want to do it, really. There is a hard and fast rule. It happens after Thanksgiving. That's your that, hard and fast rule. That's that not everybody's hard and fast everyone's rule. everyone's hard and fast rule. Now, those Christmas freaks are like, oh, we can have Christmas decorations all year long. No, you can't. It takes away from the specialness of the holiday season. You need to give Thanksgiving its proper time, and then we can move on to Christmas. I agree with you. I'm just saying. It's not the hard and fast rule. It's your hard and fast rule. If people want to do it differently, you can, but you're wrong. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But if you don't have the Thanksgiving Day as the guideline, like the last Thursday in November, like, what do you do? Huh. Anyway, if you if y'all want to share that are not in America, let me know. I want to know. when you When do you know it's the time to start decorating for Christmas? 
I would probably start like December 1st, I think, if I didn't have a, I don't know, maybe not. I would start never. I know you wouldn't. If Jason were by himself, he would never have a tree. He would, nothing. Never listen to Christmas music. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You would be Ebenezer Scrooge. You would be Ebenezer Scrooge if I weren't here. I might help you. I might buy Tiny Tim a turkey, okay? I'm your freaking Christmas fairy, the spirit of the season. You're Marlo and Marlo, and you're haunting me. (laughs) Marley. It's Marley. Oh, yeah, Marley. That's right. Good job. We're, anyway, moving on. We spent enough time on this. Jason, uh, too long, didn't listen. Jason's a Grinch. Don't start decorating until after Thanksgiving. What do places that don't have American Thanksgiving? used to tell them when to set up for the Christmas. Let's talk about crowdfunding. See how I did that? That's good, right? Yeah, good job. Um, so I have two games I want to talk about today. Um, that They just both seem fun, and they're totally right up my alley. And the first one is Hanamakoji Geisha's Road. So this is by TBD Games LLC. They're out of Taiwan. It's a sequel... Standalone sequel to Hanamakoji, which, if you are unfamiliar, Hanamakoji is a two-player game um, where you have these several geishas and you're trying to kind of balance um, like a tug of war almost between the two, you and the other player, um, for different like you're favor. Tra- yeah, of you're each trying of to earn geishas. favor of the geisha. Yeah, so you're trying to tug her influence your way while the other player is doing it to them. Yeah, I, um, I obviously love the theme. Because y'all know I love a good Asian-themed game. The artwork is also really pretty, which, again, I am swayed by pretty things. Geisha's Road is also a two-player game, also quick. It's also competitive, which I like. Um, And there are five geishas, and they each have – they each are starting – at an establishment. And you're trying to help them kind of along their journey by being patrons – um, as they go from like an apprentice to full geisha. And perhaps they can even be the Okasan. They can like actually own their tea house. I think it, yes, their tea house. Um, so you're moving around, they're gathering prestige points. You're helping them gather these prestige points, um, coming back to their tea house to go through a graduation ceremony as they move up, you know, in their prestige. Um, and then maybe move them towards inheriting the tea house again so they are the new okasan and that has more prestige points so you are trying to you have like a favored geisha maybe two i don't know how many um but you're trying to move them further the furthest in prestige because if you are the patron that supported the highest level geisha the most that's really going to give you her total prestige. So that's a great way to earn prestige. But you're earning prestige from all the different geishas as you're supporting them. Quick, it's just like 25 minutes. So quick, little two-player game, simple with cards. Uh, It's gorgeous. They have a bunch of like over 20 Kickstarter goals unlocked. They look great. I really hope Jason decides to back this. However, by the time this podcast drops, you only got three days left on the Kickstarter. It is fully funded, so it's totally safe. Um, but if you want to get in on this, it's only 22 bucks for the game. And there's actually a lot of stuff um, based on what I can see. They've got these little um, – the tea houses have their own mats, and they've got these, like, big standees for the geishas. You've got all these different cards that are moving around. It looks good. 
it looks good. Guest tokens, geisha cards, item cards, action markers, lots of cool stuff. So 22 bucks, not too bad. If you're like, hey, I don't own the original Hanamakoji, I think I want that copy as well. It's only 39 for both. So pretty good deal if you like two-player games, if you like Japanese-themed games, if you like pretty art, if you like the first Hanamakoji, check this out. That's Hanamakoji Geisha's Road. Three days left, 22 bucks for the game itself. Yeah, this does look cool. I just need to see if it works with ours because ours is from a different company. You don't have to. It doesn't mix, honey. This doesn't go with our, our game? It's a completely different no, game? Oh, it's I, a completely different game. Oh, I thought it was just an expansion. I believe I mentioned at the top that this is a standalone sequel. Oh, I, I missed that part. Okay, yeah, cool. See, you even my own co-host doesn't listen to me. I was listening. I just missed that part. I thought the rest of it sounds cool. So, yeah, 22 bucks is not bad. They're, they're publishing the new version of Hanamakoji 2, and there's some action tiles and stuff that you can get. There's, like, a lot of cool add-ons and everything there. Um, I don't, I'm pretty sure you don't need... I've looked at it. There's, I don't think you need the original. Doesn't look like it. Cool. Yeah. So check it out. My second one is also a two-player game. So this is the uh, two-player game news. And this is fun. Um, I think Scott sent this to me also. But I had I had clocked it on Kickstarter because the theme is hilarious. And this game is called Co-op with a K. Because it's the idea it's is that Swedish. it's a play... It's a play on Swedish because it's actually not Swedish. It's from Brooklyn. <laughs> but in co-op, the board game, you are playing a cooperative game with another player in which you try to assemble flat pack furniture like you would get at Ikea without ruining your relationship with the other with your partner. I don't think that's possible. In real life, it's not possible. In this game, it could be possible. So, like, you each draw a card that talks about your needs for the relationship, like, um, and it's based on the, like, love five love languages, which I think is really interesting. So, maybe you, like, need quality time, or you need touch, or you need them to, like, acts of service, you know, whatever. There's these icons for each of them. And it's like, okay, this is, this is what we need. Um, and then you also draw a hardship. So, maybe... Um, it's a long distance relationship. And so that maybe that doubles the number of time, like quality time you need with the person because you're far away or what it could be several different things. Really interesting, right? So then you're each picking out a page of a manual to build some furniture. And it's basically just these um, like sets of hexes. And then everyone has these like hexes in their hand, these card hexes. You can only see the front of your cards and your partner sees the back. So the back is actually like one of the different love languages. So you're saying to your partner, like, you know, we need to spend quality time together. And you've got quality time in your hand on the right or whatever. We need to spend quality time to build this new couch. So then the player picks that one and lays it down in, and you're trying to make it in the arrangement. You can play any number of cards in your hand, but they have to be built in the shape of the furniture that you picked on this, uh, like the instruction manual cards. And you have to have like pegs and sockets to like help connect them. Really interesting. 
And then you're going to flip it over and like adjust these um, love language dials to see, you know, how your relationship is going. And the points, you earn meatballs (laughs) as points. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Which I think is hilarious. So you get like meatballs for satisfying each requirement, like need of the partner in the relationship. Um, Based on where your dials go, you get meatballs from assembling furniture. um, And then you have like a final score. Like if you only have zero to six meatballs, your relationship is fragile. These pieces don't look like they belong together, likely to fall apart at the slightest pressure. It's so tongue in cheek. I mean, the artwork is hideous because it looks like IKEA instructions. The box art is hideous, but it's so on theme, so funny. Uh, it's hilarious. So if that interests you, if you put together Swedish furniture before, you should check this out. There are five days left on the co-op Kickstarter, and just for a basic uh, set of the game, it's twenty bucks. Is there only one pledge or are there more? No, um, there's actually a print and play as well. And then there's flat pack where you get, there's like um, a customized needs card or um, like an, there's like an Ikea expansion. Um, There's also a, a, a this way up kind of expansion with different types of cards. So there are other things that you can get that it can come with. I was as want, far as little add-ons. That's interesting. They actually have an IKEA pack. I was like, man, if they could partner with IKEA on this, that would be sweet. Well, it's Icom IKEA is what it's. Oh, I got you. Okay, so it's not it's official, says. but I got, you. I got you. Yes, IKEA. Yeah. So uh, definitely check it out, Co-op. I think this sounds hilarious. Five days, twenty bucks. Yeah, that's really funny. And that's all I have for news. So it's the the two player edition today. All right, so let's move on to a few games that we played. We're only going to talk about two uh, because we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. So we'll just get going. Uh, the first game that we played is a game that we actually got given to us at Nerdapalooza, which we talked about, I think, last week or the week before. Well, we didn't last have a podcast. Week. Yeah, last week. And it is called Trekking the World. And this is effectively the re-implementation from the same company that did Trekking the National Park. So it plays similarly to that. But this one takes it to a cleaner, cleaner level. So what you're doing in this is you are basically walking around, well, travel, not walking. It looks like you're walking, but you're traveling around the world and you're trying to collect different types of cubes, which represent one of four different things. There's postcards, there's figurines, there's clothing, and there's one other one. Crafts. crafts. They're all one of the four, one of four different colors. And there's a little set collection there where you're trying to collect more of the cubes than everybody else so you can score some points. But you're also wanting to get to these locations so you can cash in cards that you have in your hand that have certain images, um, certain icons on them to match the icons that are on the card. So you're trying to fulfill the contract of the location. So if I go to Mount Fuji and I have two yellow cards, it needs two yellow cards, I can discard those cards, take the Mount Fuji card, and it's points. You're trying to travel around to visit as many destinations as you can before someone gets to five because that'll trigger the end of the game. Or if someone walks around, travels around and five of the six locations, the continents, they're not really continents, but like the regions of the board are empty of cubes that can end the game as well. So it's kind of a, you know, you don't always want to just pick up the cubes because you're advancing the game, but you sometimes want to get cubes because you need the cube, but you're also trying to get to locations that you need to get to so you can score the big points with the cards. 
Uh, it's a really easy game. You're going to move. You're going to collect cards. You're going to spin cards. But I enjoyed it. So what did you think of Trekking the World? I really like this. It is cute. Like the artwork is amazing, but it's nice. Um, it has like that really easy family weight ticket to ride feel. Um, as far as like, oh, you're going to take two of these colored cards. You have to play them in order to move. Um, and then you're you're cashing them in to kind of complete these tours of these different locations. I love travel. So I also love that you get to kind of get real information on the backs of the cards about the different locations um, that you're that you're at these like sites that you're traveling to. Um, it was also over way too fast. I wish it could have gone on longer. That's the other thing. So um, I think there's a lot, again, multiple paths to victory in this one, which I think is cool. Um, and I, I really look forward to playing again. I liked it. Well, we advanced it fast because we were collecting cubes. So that's a player thing. Uh, had we not gone to places and just snatched up all the cubes, we could have actually gone to more locations and completed more cards. So that's kind of on us. But Not us. I wasn't trying to snatch up a bunch of cubes. I was working on my cards. That's true. Uh, I, I mean, us as a player, the players. The players are the ones that end the game. So if you right, wanted to right. just go around and fulfill, you know, visit locations, you'd have to ignore the cubes for the most part. But if you're collecting cubes, you're not going to get to as many locations. Because I think I only visited like three and I'm not sure how many everybody else visited, but, you know, you have to get to five to end the game, so we weren't even close. I think I toured three, maybe four. Yeah. But they were, like, high point ones that took a long time to collect. Right, right. The, the right things that I needed, so. Yeah, so this game's good. Um, you can check out our YouTube channel. I did do a video for it after we played it, and, yeah, it's, it's fine. It has really nice production. It looks nice on the table, and best thing about it was it was free, so. I do like that. <laughs> Always. Uh, the next game we're going to talk about, and the last one we'll talk about today that we played, is a game that our friend Chris brought over. We actually just played it last night at the time of recording this. Um, yeah, and let's just stop beating around the bush and get into it. And it's called Tang Garden. Uh, this is from Thunder Griff, I think, and Lucky Duck. Mm. And what you're doing in this, first off, the game looks amazing on the table. It has awesome production. Uh, awesome bits, great art, just looks amazing. But ultimately what you're doing in this this game is it's a tile placement game. And you are placing these different tiles out on the board to make this garden. You want to connect different, uh, the, you want to connect the same type of terrain to the same type of terrain. So if there's water, you want to connect it to water because you get to move up some cubes. I love moving up cubes and treks. Uh, if you're making pathways connect, you get some coins and coins are your points. And then what you're trying to do is you're, you can also, instead of placing a tile, you can place a decoration. And a decoration would be maybe a pavilion, which is like a little pagoda, um, some fish, some birds, some kind of tree, a bridge. So you'll take some cards off the deck and it'll tell you what you can build. But then you have to also find a spot on the map, on the board, that you can build that item on. Each thing's going to score in a different way. Some you might have to have more than everybody else. Some are straight points. Some you might have to have a, a set of things. And you're just trying to get the map set up. So you can, you know, have places to put these lo these um, decorations. And then after you do all that, eventually you're going to be placing this little meeple you have. Or not meeple, but um, mini that you have. Yeah, it has minis on the board. And he they want to look at things. So they may want to see certain types of icons that are on some of the landscape tiles. They may want to see different types of terrain in front of them. Uh, they may want to be next to... 
They may not want to be next to another mini. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different ways they can score, but it's always line of sight in a straight line from what they're looking at. Uh, it, it's a really simple game to play, but it has some thinkiness when you're putting your, your people down on the board, where you're trying to put decorations, where you want to put the tiles. So it's more than just a, you know, a carcassonne thing. It's got a little more meat to it, and it looks amazing. So I'll let Katie talk about this a little more because I have a feeling she's got some stuff to say. So what did you think about Tangarden? Um, well, I think maybe Fred mentioned this before. This is a game like made freaking for me. Now there's tiling, but thankfully they're all squares. So I can handle that. All square. Right. Well, boss monster was square too. And you were still struggling. Yeah, that's true. The tile part was the part I wasn't (laughs) so great at actually. It is so pretty. And you have these little minis of these beautiful people and you can like put them in the pagodas. I placed a tile that had a little boat on it and they could go in the boat. Um, And these really pretty trees and like the side scenery that you're putting, there's like dragons on it. And, oh, it was so beautiful. So I was afraid I would get distracted by how beautiful the game is and not play well. But I did a pretty good job. I did a pretty good job. Uh, A little bit of a slow start because I was too busy moving around. I did not advance in the tracks well, which was a problem. Um, but I did play some good decorations, which I love. Play some people, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, it's fun. It's, again, not very difficult. You either place a tile or you place a decoration on your turn. And then there's some optional things, but really that's pretty much it. But, ooh, how am I going to – how do I can, – how can I move up on the track so I can place one of my people so I get more in-game points, like – what kind of decorations do I want to go after? Do some of the um, people that I have, like, give me bonuses for certain things, and I want to place those out, and I want to use that effectively. Um, there's a lot of stuff to think about that help that, like, gives you things to do, but it's also not difficult, and it's so, so pretty. I, um, I'm glad we finally got to play it, and now I wish we had it. Not that I'm sure we couldn't borrow it, but... I just want to look at it like all the time. It's, it's an amazing game. And to, to put icing on the cake here, I won this one. That's right. <sighs> I was really close. Okay. Like just, just like two points. I was one point away from being two for two last night. One point. Whatever. You're, you're, uh, the other game we played, I sucked real bad. So anyway, I'm glad we're not talking about that. Yeah. But yeah, this is a really good game. We didn't play with the expansion or anything. It was just base game stuff. Um, and there was plenty going on and I had a good time with it. Yeah. It's a, it's a good game. Like it's not just production and no game. It actually has some fun game and great production, which is nice to see. Mm-hmm. All right. So those are the two games that we're going to talk about. We can move on. All right. So we are continuing on our top 100 games of all time. Um, hopefully before this goes live maybe we'll have another um video as well of our top 200 games so if you want more lists we've got some videos out there on a youtube channel or a facebook page so this episode we are up to our number 60 through 51 so we're heading towards the top half of our list and man these are good games for us and even just looking at some of the games that jason has on here a lot of them I'm thinking, ooh, I think that comes up higher in my list. Like, they're all good games that we really like to play. So, Jason, kick us off with your number 60, babe. All right. So, my number 60 is a game that I think we actually got this year. That sounds right. 
Uh, it's an, a newer game, and it is called Nidavellir. Uh, we've done videos. I have videos for the game, base game and the expansion. And what you're doing in this game is it's effectively a set collection game. You're trying to collect different colors of cards. I think they're like warriors or something. Who cares? Uh, you're trying to collect these different colors of cards, and each of the, the sets of cards are going to score in a different way. So the purple cards are going to score basically... It's the Fibonacci sequence. I can't explain it, but the more of them you get, the more points you get. The green is going to... They exponentially score as you go. Okay. And then I think the green is like the square of itself, I believe. Uh, The blue is strictly just points on the card. The orange is going to be like, they start out at zero, but then they're going to start giving you points per the color times the card you have. And then the red is basically like whoever has the most of them can score their highest coin again or something like that. So, and the way that you're getting those cards is through an interesting bidding mechanism. Everybody has, I think, five coins, and you're going to be using three of those coins to bid on the three different rounds of the auctions. So there's like three different taverns. Each coin is going to be dedicated to a tavern that you want to bid at. When everybody's assigned their coins, you're going to reveal your coin. Whoever has the highest bid is going to get first dib at the tavern that we're bidding on. There's also a zero coin, and if you bid zero, you'll get last pick at the tavern, but you have two leftover coins down at the bottom of your board that you're going to be able to add together and then go over to this, like, bleacher area that has coins. It looks like bleachers. And you're going to take the coin that you have the total of, and you're going to get rid of your highest coin out of the game. So you're basically upgrading coins to have better coins to bid with so you have more opportunity to get first dibs at these cards. Um, it, it's really interesting. It's easy to play. Um, it's it's not difficult to explain either. The scoring is laid out pretty nice because it's on your board, and the cards that aren't on your board, you just may have to refresh that a couple times. And once you get a set of all five colors, you can get some special characters that will come in and do crazy things, and it's just good. It's a great game. It has awesome art, and it's just fun. So my number 60, Nidavellir. I really like this game, so I will be talking about it Many podcasts in the future, actually. Nice. It's so it's so good. It is good. Lots of pass to victory. That's all I got to say. My number 60 is a deck builder with a super creepy theme. And I would love it if you rethemed this game, but kept the basic mechanisms. And that is Don't Look Back. So this is a um, deck builder with a board. So you are playing cards out of your hand to different locations on the board um, to score different types of points. So you can try, you can inter cards in the in wax in the wax museum um, for in-game points. You can um, go to school, high school, which we all know is terror-filled, and get points that way and hang out in there for a while because you got to have dominance in the high school in order to get points there. Uh, you there's like a market where you can get new cards. You can and and the thing is the cards have multi uses. They each have certain locations on the board that they are able to be played at. Um, and then they have like a power that if you play them in the market night market or something, I don't remember. Um, you put the bazaar. I forget the name of the locations. Bazaar. The bazaar. If you play them in bazaar, you get to use the actual power on the card, which is interesting so you're like ooh, do i want to put it as like for area control kind of points in the high school or do i want to play it for the power and then each round there is like kind of a a law goal or a mission basically a law that oh a law whatever it's called a law but it's a goal 
um, where if, if you're in a certain place, if you go to a certain spot or you have so many, you get points, which are um, called candles. Yep. It's a really interesting way of playing a deck builder. You all have the same deck of cards that you're buying from. So there's a market in front of you, a personal market. It's still the same cards as everybody else, but they may come out in uh, at different times. So you can add to your deck from that. You also have to place cards in a certain area of the board in order to be able to use them later to buy cards. So what do I give up? What do I want to use? There's so many great choices in this. It's just, it's a really good game, despite the not my favorite artwork and not my favorite theme, but it's so fun to play. So my number 60 is Don't Look Back. Yeah, I honestly think if this had a different theme, it would be more popular, 100%. Yes. All right, so my number 59 is a game from, listen to this, Simon uh, and Reiner Knizia. Those two things don't really go together, but um, basically Simon brought it to America, and it's called Blue Moon City. Uh, and the more I play this game, the more I love it. This is a game where you're moving these little figures around this this board, and when you get to different locations, they're going to have numbers and colors that you need to play cards from your hand that match those colors and numbers to put little tokens down. When the board, when that's that specific tile on the board has all the numbers filled, the tile pays out and you're trying to, uh, and you'll get some crystals and maybe draw some cards, get some dragon scales. And ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to get enough crystals so you can pay to contribute to this obelisk as many times as you need to win the game. So I think in a two player game, someone has to contribute six and a more player of the game than that, you have to do less. But it's a race to see whoever can collect the most crystals and then get back to the center or wherever you need to go to contribute to the obelisk to beat everybody else. It's a fun game. All the cards have special abilities that you can play instead of playing them for the number and the color. You're going to be moving dragons around to collect dragon scales because there's like a race there. If you can get more dragon scales than everybody else, you get some gems. It's just fun. It shouldn't be as fun as it is, and I don't know why I like it a lot. But the more I play it, the more I enjoy it. And that's number 59, Blue Moon City. Yeah, I like this game. It's not even on my list at all. It, I don't. I don't think I would. I would play it if someone wanted to play it, but it would not be a choice of mine. It's okay. It's not a bad game. It's just eh. my number fifty nine is like the complete opposite of Blue Moon City because it is a ridiculous game with all kinds of things to balance. It is super thinky, and the game is Trismegistus. It has a subtitle that I can't remember. The ultimate. The ultimate formula, I think. Formula, yeah. yeah. Um, so in this game, you're alchemists, and everyone has like a personalized alchemist, and you are collecting these different raw elements. Um, oh, what are the uh, the other things? Like this one is air, and this one is red, blue, green, black. I don't know. No, they're like tokens that you get, and I forget what they're called. There's like these raw elements and there's these other things. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't remember what they're called, but they're like special tokens that help you that you need to do some things with. Right. So you're collecting these different things and your personal board, which you have a pretty big player board where you're deciding how, what you're moving where, how you're com- combining your elements to get to these different formulas in order to score points, to work towards a philosopher's stone, to work towards your own personal projects. There is a ton of stuff in this freaking game. It's difficult, but I, I kind of like that. Like, I think I, I love, and I think I know I've said this before in my top 100, like, it's hard. I wouldn't say this is, like, 
really fun as far as like ex- like most people would consider fun. But to me, I think it's fun to challenge my brain, to push what I can do, to monitor all these different tracks, um, to try. It's There's dice drafting involved, like just lots of different types of mechanics. I, I like that challenge. So that's why it's my number 59, Trism Justice. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's dice drafting where each of the dice can be used in like as like the face or the color. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. We haven't played it for a bit, so that might be why we can't remember it a ton. But we did have a good time when we played it. I do remember that. Yes. And when I see it on the shelf, I look at it longingly that I want to play it again. <laughs> we should. All right. So that was your 59. So yes. my 58 is a game from Stefan Feld. And it is a card game, effectively. And it's called Bruges. And what you're doing in this game is you are trying to build up your own little town, kind of. And the cards are multi-use. They have a, uh, the back of the card is like a different color building. There's, uh, I think, five different colors. And then the other side of the card is like a character that can live inside of a building once the building's built. All the characters have like either instant abilities, in-game abilities, abilities that you can activate by putting different colored workers on them. But every building can only hold one person. So you're trying to, to juggle, you know... What color buildings do I want to build? What people do I want to put in those buildings to score points with what I've already got going? Um, there's also some plagues that will show up because Seffenfeld likes to torture people. And you have to fight those off. You're trying to build some canals around Bruges to score points. Everything you do, you get points. You're also trying to walk up this track because you got to have a track with some stuff. It's it's just fun. It's a card game with some dice that have like that change the powers of the colors of the cards. Because you can play cards to get money. You can play cards to get workers. You can play cards as a building, as a person, or to defeat the plague. And the die is going to tell you how much money you're going to get if you play a card to get some coins. So it it's multi-use cards, and it's just fun. It's hard to explain, but you can go watch a video if you want to see better than what I did. But if you can find a copy, do it. It's good. I think it was reprinted as something else recently with from Queen, and I'm not sure which of the cities it is. But one of the new cities games is Bruges reprinted. But yeah, I like it. So my number 58 is Bruges. I don't remember this at all. I think I have played it with you. You have played it. Yep, you have. I mean, I guess it was all right. I don't have any negative feelings about it, nor do I have a lot of positive feelings about it. It just is. My number 58 is a Days Wonder game. So you know the production, like right off the bat, is top notch. And that game is Five Tribes. So I really love Five Tribes because there's lots of different things to do in this game. And you know how I feel about multiple paths to victory. As well as there's really nice, tangible, touchy, chunky pieces, which I also love because I love to play games that... Let's you play with components, I guess. Um, so in Five Tribes, you're doing this Mancala mechanic where there's these all these little meeples spread out over the tiles and the, over the board. And you are picking up all of the meeples on one spot and then distributing them around to these other tiles until the last one goes on the last tile and then whatever color that is you pick all the meeples up of that color different colors of meeples are associated with different types of actions so it could be you're able to buy genies with that it could be you're able to um, collect get some cards in the, from the market in the set collection part of the game it could be that you're um, attacking another player and getting rid of their good cards as well or you're collecting some viziers that are going to be like just straight up points for you at the end. 
So there's lots of different ways to use the colors. And then um, also you might be able to place like an oasis or like a, I forget what type of build, some kind of building. Um, there's camels, like ah, there's so many great things and the color player colors I love in this game. And while I normally am a proponent of you think ahead and you plan your turn out, you really can't in this game because the board's ever changing, which I kind of like that variety. You're thinking on your feet a little bit, but there's lots of things that you can do. How do you want to go? Do you want to collect viziers? Do you want to get some powerful genies? Um, do you want to go set collection route? Like, what do you want to do to make your way in this game? And I love that. I think the theme is cool. The art is awesome. Production's awesome. So, Minor 58, Five Tribes. Yeah, this is a good one. I think I actually talked to it, talked about it on one of the videos. That sounds I, familiar. I believe you did, yes. All right, so my number 57 is another Simon game. Call me a Simon fanboy if you have to, I guess. And this game has tons of minis. Tons of them. And it's called Dogs of War. Um, I just recently played this. I don't know. I think for my birthday, I played the game of this. Man, it's still so good. All this game is, is it's effectively, in, in more than three players, it's effectively a tug of war over three different sections of the board. You're basically throwing support behind these different houses on the board to help them win the three battles. The reason you want to do that is if you're if you support the winning side of a battle, it's going to advance their score. So they start out at like negative points, but as they win battles, their crest is going to move forward and they're going to be worth more points. And the reason you care about that is because you're trying to collect different shields for the houses and every shield you have is worth the points of where they are on the track. So if you have if you know if you're putting a lot of support behind yellow and yellow is worth negative points, that's not good. So you want to make sure you support yellow and they Gets worth some points. The interesting thing here is you can only support one side of each battle unless you play some cards. So you can play on both sides of the war. You can just betray your friends completely uh, swing this battle. I love it. It's so mean. This game is brutally mean, and I don't know why I like it so much, but I enjoy it a ton, and I'm not going to stop liking it. It's just it's amazing. So my 57, Dogs of War. I'm absolutely terrible at this, but I also like this game, and I will discuss it on a future video, I do believe. Nice. Okay, so my number 57 is also a game that's fairly new to us. And it's one that's really rather simple. And I think that's why I love it. So this is a card game, and I love card games. You know that. So my 57 is Ohanami. Again, it is an Asian-themed game. I cannot stay away from those. So that is a, you know, big points for it. Also in this game, you are taking these cards and they're numbered like one to one thirty. Yes. One thirty, one thirty. And it's a drafting game. So you're deciding what cards you want to keep because you're going to place the cards down in front of you to create three different gardens. And there are flowers on the cards. <coughs> um, so you're creating your beautiful garden. What? Which ones are we taking? But the numbers matter because I cannot then later, if I play a 57 and I play a 63 and later I come along with the 59 card, it cannot go in that garden. It must go in a different one. Or maybe I don't have room for that at all. And maybe I'm stuck with that card. And so there's a little bit of like push your luck in it too as well. 
Like, what cards can I keep? What cards might I come up with later? Uh, can I risk leaving like a huge, making a huge gap here? But you don't really want to throw away cards because they're all points. And each card has a different color. Those colors correspond to how they the points are accumulated, whether it's on one round, it scores in the second round, whether it's a cumulative scoring. So you can really go with different ways to collect points. And I, y'all, again, y'all know I love that. So it's got all the things going for it that I love. It's a card game. It's simple, but yet they're simple to play, but yet tough choices, multiple paths to victory, Japanese themed. I mean, it just was basically made for me. So my number 57 is Ohanami. Yeah, I think I talked about that one on a video, but it is a good game. And it's super easy to teach, but man, it it's good. Yes, and lots of people, like I played this with non-gamers and they really liked it. And I played with people who play games with me on a semi-regular basis and they also liked it. So yeah, it's it's good. So my number 56 is a game that I don't think you like that much, um, but that's fine. Mm. And it is called Imaginarium. So, yeah, you, yeah, they'll say, mm, yeah, it's you don't like this one. I was looking at the next one. <laughs> oh yeah, you like the next one. Uh, so, Imaginarium is effectively at its core an engine building game, and it's also a race to like get to twenty points. But the the I don't want to say interesting, but the weird thing about this one is one, the art is bizarre. All the art is like the weirdest art I've ever seen in a game, and two, it's a really slow engine builder. So. Basically, on your turn, you're taking your little mini that you have, and you're going to start bidding on what action you want to take and where you want to take that action in the turn order. And you're going to fire them off from left to right. So the better actions are farther back, but you're going to go last. So then once you get like resources that you're trying to collect, then you're going to be trying to build these cards down in front of you into like your workshop. And each of the cards are going to produce goods. They may convert goods into other goods. They may convert goods into points. Um, they may function with another machine. That machine produces a good, and then it turns that good into three other goods. So it's like this this really weird engine that you're building. Certain cards can only go with certain cards. I think you're limited to three cards in your workshop. Um, so yeah, there is that. And then the tricky thing about taking actions is you have this little like action selector, and the you take two actions on your turn. And the way that the arrows are pointed, you're limiting to what you can, actions you can take. You can never take the same two actions twice, so you're always moving the arrow arrows. And inevitably... One of the actions you don't want to take. Just a, It just happens every single time. You want to take one of the actions real bad, and then the other one's just garbage. You don't care. So you're trying to manipulate those arrows around to get the best that you can do on your turn. You're trying to build the best machines you can make to score the most points to hit 20 before everybody else. Um, I, I think the production's cool. I like the, the bits. I like the box that holds the bits in the game. The art's weird, but again, I don't care about that. And the game might be a little slow and a little long, but... Outside of that, I still enjoy it. So my number 56, Imaginarium. Yeah, I don't really like this game. I was looking at my number 56, so I was like, wait a minute. I like that game. Oh, yeah, your 56 is good. It is. And so my number 56 is Fresco. Um, Fresco, is, is this a queen game? Yes. It's The artwork is not good, really. I don't think it's terrible, but... It's not terrible, but it's not great. But it is a game about art. And you are working on painting a chapel ceiling, as it were. I mean, I'm not going to say. It doesn't say it's the Sistine Chapel, but I feel like that's It feels an awful lot like it, yeah. Yeah, that's really what you're working working towards there. Um, so 
several interesting things about this game. Like you choose what time you get up, which is reminiscent of viticulture, or maybe viticulture is reminiscent of that. I don't know which one came first. I think this was first, I believe. That's what I think so too. Jamie Stegmeyer stealing ideas. But it's a good one because going earlier does hinder you. You're tired. Stuff is more expensive. But you get first choice, which is, again, uh, can be a good thing because you're collecting paints in order to paint different areas of the ceiling. There's also some other things that you can paint as well. Um, we have an expansion where you can paint portraits of people for points. Um, but you don't always have the, like, sometimes it requires specialty colors. So you're going to have to mix paints. So that's another action you can take. So you do a little bit of programming for here's what I'm going to do during the day um, after I've chosen when to wake up. And then you, and certain um, actions only occur or occur in a certain order. So then you're going to play through your program as you're moving around. So maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to paint this. But someone paints before you and they paint the parts you're going to paint. You're like, oh, crap. Do I have the right paints to paint something else? Because I still want to get points. Um, the theme is cool. There's these like nice different sized chunks of cubes that represent your paint colors. Um, and who doesn't want to be like a Renaissance artist? Like, I just think that that's cool. So my number 56 is Fresco. Uh, yeah, I, I may talk about this in a few minutes. Um, so yeah. <laughs> my number 55 is a Stonemeyer game and it is called Wingspan. And this is basically a tableau building game. You're trying to collect different birds to put them down in one of the three different, um, sections of your board. I think there's three green, yellow, blue. Yeah. Land, air, water. And what you're trying to do is you are trying to basically get cards on your board to, produce eggs, which are points. Uh, you may want cards to eat other cards, which every card under a card on your board is worth a point. You may want cards that are going to give you end-of-game bonuses for having certain types of cards on your board. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on, but ultimately you're trying to build the best engine that you can on your board and also trying to hit the um, like personal goals that you have. Like You may need to have um, some birds that have like anatomy names on them. You may need to have birds that are from a certain location or that only eat vegetables or whatever fruit and you're just trying to hey there are probably birds that eat vegetables okay my gosh Um, and you're just trying to do all these things there's so many things you can do but your turn is really easy you're going to either play a card to your board i think or you're going to like draw some cards i believe that's what you're doing I can't remember exactly what you do in your turn because I haven't played it. You in have a while. totally bungled the entire explanation of this game. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it for weeks, and I'm going to have to like you correct everything you said. So there's birds, there's a board, there's some eggs, and you're trying to do things with all those things to score points. There you go. That's my number 55, Wingspan. And it's not like air, land, water. Yes, it is. Air, water, they're habitats. No, they're, yes, water, forest, meadow. Airline All water. birds pretty much go into the air. <laughs> what is wrong with you? It's theme. Who cares? It's blue, yellow, and green. I, apparently, I've played this more and more recently than you because I actually know how the I, game goes. Yeah, I don't what remember it, honestly. I don't remember what I, what I actually do on my turn anymore. When I talk about Wingspan in a few weeks, we will redeem this. <laughs> I just want to point that out. I know how to play it. I just can't explain it. Do you? Do, do you? Yes, I do. That, that explanation says you don't. You can place a card. Oh, my gosh. All right. My number 55. Moving on for that train wreck dumpster fire. <laughs> it only gets worse. <laughs> is a game that I really like. I think maybe it's fallen a little bit because I haven't played it as much 
recently, but it's still such a good game. And that game is Dice Forge. So when I first saw this game, I thought, oh, this is a stupid gimmick with where you change the faces on your dice. I tried one that was like that. It was dumb. I won't point it out. Snake Eyes or something like that. Rattle but it wasn't Rattle Bones. It wasn't good. This <laughs> is good. Um, in Dice Forge, you've got dice. You are changing the faces. Um, you're rolling them on everyone's turn. So you're collecting things off your dice. You can get two different kinds of gems. You can get points. You can get coins. You're then using those items to either buy cards, buy better die faces, um, build things, convert things to points. Um, I like it because it's so, it's a really easy one to get non-gamers into because they're always involved because you're always rolling dice on someone's turn, even if it's not yours, and you're moving up your different um, items that you're collecting. You are rolling dice. People get that. It's really pretty. The game insert is awesome. It holds all of the pieces. It shows you where everything goes. There are multiple paths to victory. It's just such a good game. We have an expansion for it, which gives you some different cards and different things that you can do. Also really fun, but just the base game itself is great. Spinner 55 is Dice Forge. Yeah, it is a solid game. And I remember about Wingspan. You're using, you're placing cubes down to collect food and uh, lay eggs. I remember now. I was just thinking about it while you were talking. Oh my gosh. There are three, like, three basic actions. Draw cards, get food, lay eggs, play birds. Four actions. Play bird. Four, four basic actions. Yeah. That's it. I remember. See, I got it. I was thinking. I was thinking through it. My oh brain my. was working. Gosh. But Dice Forge is... Talk about your number 54. Dice Forge is good. The expansion is unnecessary, but Dice Forge is good. Um, My number 54 is a game from Renegade. And I don't even know why we bought this. It looked cool. We were at the game store, I think. And it was about... It was on like a big sale, I think, too. Because, you know, that's how we That's probably true. And it's about spies. Like, get smart era spies. And this is called Covert. Basically, what you're doing in this game is you are... You have these... You're controlling two spies that are out on this map. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them in certain locations and certain colors of the, ma- the region. And you're trying to fulfill these, like, missions. You may- and you're trying to collect different types of cards. The way you're doing that is through some dice placement. Everybody has, I think, five dice. You're rolling your dice. And then there are four actions up at the top that you can take. There's uh, You put a die at the first space and you can move. You put a die at the second space and you can get a card from the bottom row based on where your um, spy is in on the map. So you can take it from the color that they're in. You can take that card. The third section will let you get a new mission card, and the fourth space will let you complete mission cards. You're trying to get these different types of cards, which is like a shoe phone, a gun, a recorder, fake papers, lock picks, all that kind of thing. You may need to have some people in either a certain color or a certain city, and once you do that, you can fulfill the missions to score some points. Um, I think it's a race to like the first person to complete five missions or something like that. It might be different for different player counts, but some number of missions you're trying to complete. And if you can do that, you may win the game. You may not, depending on which kind of missions you complete. There's also this little section of the game where you can do like this code cracking that's going to help you un- like crack some, um, unlock some additional items that's going to help you on your journey. And as you complete missions, they're going to sometimes give you abilities that you always have. Like maybe I'll always have a gun or I'll always have a recording device or something that can make completing missions in the future a little bit easier. The art's cool. The theme is amazing. Uh, I like this game quite a bit. That's why it's my number 54, and that is Covert. I like this game one week more than you. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. It's totally a good game. And uh, yeah, I think it was on sale. I was like, ooh, this looks good. So, and it's it's solid. Absolutely. Um, my number 54 is a game that is basically a non-IP Indiana Jones game. Pretty much. And that game is called Thebes. I mean, I guess there aren't Nazis trying to kill you. But other than that, pretty solid. So in this game, you are learning, getting knowledge um, about different areas of the world where there are dig sites so that at some point you can go there and dig up some artifacts. Um, The cool thing about this is each dig site is represented by a bag. Um, Not only does the bag have artifacts of varying value, but it also has dirt because that's what's at a dig site. And sometimes you just got to go through a lot of dirt in order to get some good artifacts. So there's a push your luck element to it and you're not sure what's going to draw the bag. You can mitigate that by um, maybe having more knowledge of the particular area. Like there's Palestine, Crete, Greece, um, Egypt. And I thought there was one more. Yeah, I'm never going to remember that. I have no idea. Russia? Nah. I don't remember. I'm saddened that I can't remember it. Maybe that's all. I don't know. Oh, um, in Turkey, the Ottomans, maybe? There's five bags, different Byzantine. colors. Byzantine. Anyway. Um, so you're, also, you're trying to get more knowledge in that area. And when you go to dig, you're spending knowledge and time. Because that's really what it takes if you're going to dig some artifacts. So I love that kind of thematic part to it as well as the theme of um, sometimes you get dirt when you're drawing out of a bag when you're because di- it's like a dig site. I think that makes the game a little more tense, a little more exciting. Um, you also are able to like display these things in... Um, I forget what they call them. Museum. But like a museum tour of artifacts. You can um, put some of the artifacts you've seen in there if you meet certain criteria. It's one of those, the person who is furthest back on the track of time is the one that goes first. And so you can maybe take multiple turns if you're just spending short times in dig sites or just moving around to these different locations to learn more um, about the different cultures where you're going to be digging. Good game, fun game, easy for newbies to play, but enough interesting little moving parts that it is great for more advanced gamers. So my number 54 is Thebes. Yeah, that's a solid game. My number 53, fresco, paint, cube, uh, Sistine Chapel, done. (laughs) Yeah, everything Katie said, it's a good game. Um, I like the mixing of the paints. I like the way that you're programming all your movements. After you decide to wake up, and then based on whoever wakes up first, we'll all take those actions in order based on turn order. It The programming is tough. Sometimes people are going to take what you want to take just because. That's just how it works. But, man, the game is good. Um, it's fun. And a lot of games, a lot more games, I think, should do that waking up thing because it's a really solid mechanism for turn order, and I like it. So 53, Fresco. My 53 is one that we have talked about many, many times on the podcast, and that is Quacks of Quedlinburg. We have all the expansions. So we have Herb Witches and we have... Um, Alchemists. Alchemists. That's like a big thing. A 
big theme in board games. Um, so this is a push your luck game where you are drawing potion ingredients out of your bag to add to your pot. Um, a certain type of potion ingredient is particularly volatile. So if you get too many, your pot will explode and you will bust. You are trying to build your bag with better ingredients um, to help you move around and gain more points as well as gain better ingredients in general. Um, the expansions add, you know, a little bit of some extra elements to balance, um, some good, there's like event cards that are played in each round, simple enough to play, very like a, still a lot of great tension in there. Solid game. My number 53, Quacks of Quedlinburg. Yeah, I think that's higher for me. I can't remember my list. I would have been. My list was messed up for a while, so I think I fixed it and made it what's higher now. I, it should be if it's not. It should be. You really like that game. Uh, my number 52, I believe you've already talked about. I did. I'm not sure if week. it was on the podcast or a video, but it is from Uve, and it is called Mercator Mercator. I don't know how you say it. It doesn't matter. Mercator is how I'm going to call it. And Katie already said what this game is. It's effectively a pick-up-and-deliver game. You're going to locations and getting different kinds of cubes that can either be one of two kinds of resources it might be some kind of food and then some kind of textile or like a weapon and something else. And then what you're trying to do is then you're trying to get to other locations to deliver cubes to score points, fulfill the contracts, to get better contracts to try to fulfill later. The problem is you never need where you you never need to go where you to fulfill a contract to where you get the cubes, and that's super annoying. It always seems like I never have contracts for the locations that I need to go ever. Ever. So you're spending all this time trying to get cubes. So you're piggybacking off other people's actions so you don't have to waste your own action to go get some cubes. It's a brain burner. It's super easy to play. Like It's not a hard game to learn and play, but man, to figure it out and how to play it the best to do to get the most points and do the best at delivering and picking up, that's the challenge. So my number 52, Mercator. Yep. My number 52 is a game that we had like a prototype version and then we got like a fulfilled Kickstarter fulfilled version and it's so fun. And that is Paris. So Paris, um, there's some area control at different in different parts of Paris. You're using these keys and you have a limited number, um, to place on different spots of the board. Um, they require you to then pay different costs. Um, but they're going to give you sometimes, I know it's not very good, advertisement but they're going to give you resources that you can then use in other places maybe to build landmarks yeah landmarks yeah landmarks yeah. um later to put and there those are basically just big point getters which i can't ever seem to get any of those um but you also get points for like your area majorities and in, in these different places um the Production value of this game is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I think it's really beautiful. Although I had one friend who complained about it. Like, oh, these aren't the same. Like, why would you waste all money in this? I'm like, what the heck, man? You also have a little guy that you're moving, a worker that you're moving around the outside of the board. Who, um, it's one of those kind of same mechanics like that you have maybe in Heaven and Ale and a few other games where you can move as far ahead as you want to claim something, but you can't go back. And so you're trying to get these bonuses. You really can't do like your turn. You can only do one thing and it's so stinking frustrating. Um, 
but I think that makes the game really tight and really good. So my number 52 is Paris, and that was a terrible explanation of it. Yeah, and this game starts off with like ver- barely any place to go because you're building the board as you go. Then all of a sudden, all the places are out there, and your brain just like freezes up because like, man, there's like 30 places I can go to, and I have no idea what's going on. But, but then towards the end again, you can't go anywhere again because it's true. all filled up. Yeah, it's like a nice bell curve of uh, stuff you can do. All right, so my number 51 is a game that I haven't played with people. I've only ever played by myself. Um, mostly because I'm e- I I know how to teach myself better, and I feel like I'm never going to be able to teach this game, but eventually I'll play it with Katie. And it's called Clinic, and I have the deluxe edition. That doesn't matter, but Clinic. So let me try to explain this. Um, it's been a while. What you're doing is you're running a hospital, and you are trying to basically figure out the logistics of everything. Like, you have to figure out parking for the doctors and the patients' cars. You have to figure out the most efficient way to set up your hospital so you can have offices that people can get to quickly, like, next to, to like, operating rooms and all that kind of thing. Because the way this game functions is you're trying to get doctors of a certain color. So, I think there's white, orange, yellow, and red to patients of the same color. White is the least sick. Red is about to die. So, when you have a red patient, you need to make sure that your doctor can get to your hospital quickly to go, you know, help that patient so they don't die. Um, everything costs money. So you're also trying to make sure you can pay your doctors, you can pay your orderlies and your nurses. Uh, if you cure the patient, they're going to give you some money. Um, you may get some greenery around, which is going to help when your people are waiting, it'll help them get better. Tons of stuff going on. It's just, Everything that you could think about running an actual hospital, you're going to feel in this game. Uh, well, planning to build the hospital and all that kind of thing. You're going to feel it in this game. It looks great. The, the deluxe edition has really nice art, really nice meeples and shape bits. And it's it's going to burn your brain a little bit. So I like this game. I'd like to play it a little bit more. But man, it's, it's Bernie. So my number 51, Clinic. I also would like to play this game. Like every time it's on a list, I'm like, dang, this game sounds so good. I wish I could play it. I mean, I could just teach myself, I suppose. But I have so many hobbies <laughs> that, and I play games for the joy of being with other people. So it's difficult for me to play a game by myself. Yeah, that's not why I play games. So I don't have that problem. I know it. Uh, my number fifty-one. So the last game I'm going to talk about today is similar in experience, I think, to like my number fifty-four, which was Thebes, um, and that game is Fool's Gold. So in Fool's Gold, you're also going and digging for things, but you're digging for gold in these different mines. So there are like, I don't know, maybe five or six different locations of different mines in the hills, in the mountains, in the forest, at the lake. Um, And you have your little miners that go out to participate in the gold rush. Um, You also have to be able, you know, to pay for their supplies and things when they go to these different locations. They're going to go. You're trying to get there. You want to get there kind of early, maybe. Um, It's cheaper if you go early. But the more people that go there, you're going to um, be able to turn more cards from the deck that's simulating digging in the mine at the location. This is where it is definitely a luck-based game but it's so thematic because not only are there uh, there there's gold of some amount at these different mines but there's also silt there also is bad weather 
that could make your mining not as productive. There's also um, maybe some gemstones that are cool that you might want to collect. Also, somebody got to the mine before you. So they get to they get a first pick of the goods. Uh, it's just really thematic. It's super easy to teach. We got this for a song. I think five dollars or something. If ridiculous. that much, yeah. It was wicked cheap, um, and it turns out to be really fun because you're like, oh come on, and like it's mean in a way, but the game is mean to you. Uh, because you're like, dang it, I was really hoping this mine would pay out, and then it didn't. There's got to be gold in this stinking mine, and you're trying to collect it. Also, you can't just go to one mine and like load up on all the gold from that mine, because that turns out to be fool's gold at the end, and you're not going to collect all of that amount. Uh, there's so many good things going on in this game, and yet it's it's really pretty simple to play. I love it. That's why it's my number 51, fool's gold. Yeah, this that game's fantastic. Um, I don't know why it doesn't get the love that it it should get. I don't know why people don't talk about it, but it's great. All right, so we can count it down. Tell you what we talked about this week. Um, Absolutely. My numbers. I'll go in the correct order this week. I, I went <laughs> last week too, but we had some technical difficulties, so you didn't hear me screwing up. But yeah, I'll do it correctly this time. Um, my number sixty is Nidavellir. My fifty nine is Blue Moon City. My fifty eight is Bruges. My 57 is Dogs of War, 56 Imaginarium, 55 Wingspan, 54 Covert, 53 Fresco, 52 Mercator, and 51 Clinic. And my number 60 was Don't Look Back, 59 Trismegistus, 58 Five Tribes, 57 Ohanami, 56 Fresco, 55 Dice Forge, 54 Thebes, 53, Quacks of Quedlinburg, 52, Paris, and my number 51 was Fool's Gold. All right, so I didn't notice this before, but don't look it's back. It's don't turn your don't back. Don't turn your back, yeah. I, I didn't notice that until right now. <laughs> it's a good game, whatever the actual name is. Yeah. <laughs> but good luck finding it when I say the wrong yeah. name. So don't turn your back, yeah. So that has been our next installment of the 50s of our top 100. So next week, we're going to hit our top 50 games that we've ever played. Um, we would love to hear yours. Maybe top 100 is too daunting. Maybe top 200 is too daunting. Uh, give us your top 50, your top 25, your top 20, your top 10, your top five. We just love to hear from you guys on our Facebook page, on our Facebook group, hashtag the riveted, um, on our Instagram, our Twitter, and yes, even our YouTube. Uh, we have, I believe, a game giveaway going on right now. That is correct. Yep, we are and, giving away a copy of Rescuing Robin Hood. Yes, which I think the artwork looks so cute on this game. Like, you know how I feel about that. And uh, I love a good literary figure. So check that out as well as I believe there will be more interesting, good games, giveaways coming in the future. That is true. So keep sticking around for that. Um, keep watching for our other videos, counting down our top 200 i believe we're in the 160s yeah uh, to 150s yeah something like there. that i think we ended at 165 last time i'm not sure right so um check on those either have the facebook no- notifications ready or like subscribe click on the bell on our youtube so that you'll get the notification for the, when those videos but for that because jason posts them pretty quickly afterwards so yeah 
let us know. If you got some free time around the holidays, spend it watching some videos and playing some games and be sure to tell us about it. Yep. And as always, check out our friends over at the Board Game Rundown. The giveaway is probably going to partner with them. Um, I don't have a lot of details yet, but when we know more, you'll know more. So stay tuned to all the things that Katie just talked about and you'll know more. But yeah, uh, Board Game Rundown has a cool video channel. Um, They talk about stuff gaming related unboxings reviews all that thing so go give them a look if you haven't you probably have because we've talked about them for a long time but if you haven't go check them out i thought we're going to stop talking about them because they're just going to surpass us in numbers and they don't need our help anymore yeah i got their own they got a good thing going yeah i mean we probably shouldn't because they will they they are going to pass us pretty soon they're growing way (laughs) faster than we did which is kind of sad but i'm happy for them i'm happy for them yeah me too obviously and we Again, I don't think we've ever done any of this for money, fame. We just do it because we like games. And free and games. We, That's really why we do it. Yeah, pretty pretty much because we're cheapos. That's the only reason why we have a channel. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's all for us today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you all had a blessed holiday if you are in the state celebrating Thanksgiving. And if you are not... I hope you had a great week and got to play some games. So I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.